chat about the epic world of Avatar, The Way of Water, our actor of the week, Zoe Saldana, and the news in Hollywood that U.S. media saw a huge financial hit at the end of 2022, and what that means for the consumer. So, let's get into it! Welcome to another episode of Film Folly. I'm so glad you're here and I hope you've all had a really wonderful holiday season and a happy new year. I uh, and my sister on Christmas night rewatched the first Avatar movie uh, just to kind of prep myself for the second one because the day after Christmas, me, my sister, and our spouses decided to get tickets for the new Avatar, The Way of Water, and it was absolutely fantastic. I highly recommend it. We saw it in 3D. When I first watched the original Avatar, I did not see it in 3D, and I remember being really sad that I didn't do that because everyone afterwards <laughs> was uh, telling me that it was absolutely amazing in 3D and how immersive it is. And so I never did watch the original in 3D, and I really wanted to kind of have that experience with uh, the new uh, Avatar, The Way of Water. And... I am very, very happy that we saw it in 3D, especially with all the underwater effects and everything like that. Anywho, just to kind of go back a little bit, when we watched, my sister and I watched the first Avatar, we were actually really, really, really surprised at how well the special effects held up after 13 years. It was pretty incredible. I thought that going to watch it and you know how you watch something and you know it's been several years and then you're like oh well this isn't as good as I thought it was gonna be from when I originally saw it you know. But after 13 years, the special effects and the story were amazing, even after as long as it has been. I highly recommend you give it a rewatch. You know, it means something that um, even after 13 years, the original Avatar is still the highest grossing film of all time. At the time of the release in 2009 for the original Avatar movie, uh, some noted the themes and storylines were a little recycled with people comparing it to Pocahontas or Ferngully, those two other films, Pocahontas being the Disney movie that they're referring to and Ferngully is an animated uh, movie that came out in the early 90s. They were saying that the storylines and themes were very similar to Avatar. Um, that was some of the critical 
reviews and commentary of it. And that is partially true in some respects, but I, I feel it's it's really presented in a different way that really transports the audience into the world of Pandora. I think that's why people really emotionally grab on to this movie. And uh, I remember hearing an interview with James Cameron. He was talking about how the first Avatar was so successful because of repeat uh, moviegoers in theaters. That was really important to it. its success. I know that they're hoping it will be the same thing for Avatar The Way of Water. But as if the first movie couldn't get any better... Uh, Avatar The Way of Water comes out at the top of its game for the visual effects once again. And uh, especially with the element of water, I know a lot of the uh, actors had done uh, a lot of lessons in holding their breath for long periods of time. I heard that they had hired a renowned uh, deep sea diver to train with the the actors and they were required to be able to hold their their breath for like seven minutes. So yeah, crazy stuff and really, really just a lot of dedication from the actors who played in this film, the movements that they had to portray underwater just really great detail. It really helps add a lot to conveying the storyline. Avatar and the Way of Water has a lot of similar themes that uh, the first Avatar movie has. Some of the themes and lessons that it explores but doesn't hit you over the head with. It really wants to make you feel the effects of these actions in the movie because we become so connected to these characters and the world in which they live in. We really feel the effects that a lot of the destruction of humans are are doing to Pandora. So uh, some of the, the themes I will list here is race and colonialism, the fact that humans are destroying nature for profit without thinking of consequences, uh, the complete lack of connection to nature and without the notion of working in harmony with nature instead of taking, taking and taking until there's nothing left really putting up a mirror to how we live and operate today. We also often see ourselves as the heroes. We see humans ourselves as the heroes in our story. And here we are shown that humans are the villains. So that's something kind of interesting to explore as well. When we study and talk about themes of colonialism or the destruction of nature having major consequences and diminishing earth resources, it is easy to separate ourselves from these topics and become distant from these ideas. Here we are forced to see the repercussions of these decisions and actions. It becomes real and you feel how wrong it is because as an audience member, you are living the destruction in real life. We are very good at hiding this destruction from ourselves. So we're not directly feeling the effects, depending on where you live in the world. The movie does a really great job, and 
again, with the first movie and with The Way of Water. They both do a really great job with us really forming emotional connections to these characters. So because of that, you're really in it with their journey and you start to see the wonder of their world and nature through their eyes. When you become emotionally invested in some shape or form, the themes in the movie become more real. And you begin to understand by being able to relate to the characters and see things in their eyes and perspective. The destruction of nature becomes more devastating to you when you're watching in the film because you're in it with the character. You can't help but bring that with you into the real world and see the disharmony in our own human actions towards nature. When we study or talk about themes of colonialism or the destruction of nature and our resources and the major consequences of that. It is easy to separate ourselves from these topics because it either feels like something from the past or something far in the future. Nothing ever seems present to us. And because of that, there's no urgency or action on our part. As an audience member, you are living this destruction and injustice with these characters in the present, and we feel the emotional effects with the characters. Now, I haven't really given any spoilers or anything along those lines. It's known what these themes of Avatar are, especially if you've seen the first film. Um, A lot of these themes carry over to um, the second film, The Way of Water. So moving forward, there may be some spoilers, or I guess I should say there will be some spoilers. So if you haven't seen Avatar The Way of Water, just be warned. (laughs) So you've been you've been warned. Um, but I wanted to also talk about some standout uh, scenes of importance in the film. And I know there was a scene in the film where they are commentating on whaling and how destructive it is. And there are similar creatures in The Way of Water where they're they're very, very similar to our gray whales or blue whales. There is a scene where one whale in particular, and I'm going to call it a whale. I think they're actually called something different, but they're whale-like creatures. There's a scene in the film where they go back and relive the history of this one whale in particular and some of the hardships and strife that he I believe the whale is a he that the the whale had been through and they talk about how incredibly smart these whales are the way in which he has been able to get out of poaching and these whales are sacred creatures to the people of Pandora uh, and yet they're the humans are coming to poach these animals and the animals are incredibly smart, but apparently there is a element that can be extracted from the whale that is valuable to humans. And so human poachers come, will try and kill 
these whales in order to extract that nutrient from the whale. And then they do nothing with the whale, even after they've killed it. They extract what they want and then they move on and they just, they don't use anything else of the whale, which is incredibly wasteful and disrespectful. You know, I, if anyone is a a serious hunter or anything like that, you'll know that in order to honor the animal, you use as much as you possibly can because to not do that is dishonoring the life of that creature, uh, of that living thing. And, you know, they're, they're obviously showing how they poach the, the whale and, and the spears that they use and, and the, the torment that the animal kind of goes through, um, while being poached, there was a female whale and a baby whale and um, that was incredibly sad. They end up killing the mother. And I think in turn, the, the baby whale it also gets killed. And the previous whale I was talking about, the, the male whale, was able to get away but was injured. So you're, you're seeing this destruction through the eyes of the male whale. And, um, I, I know my sister, uh, I think I mentioned to you, my sister and I and our spouses went to see this film and she is, we're both animal lovers and she was incredibly, um, uncomfortable watching this. It was a hard scene to watch. It was hard to watch. (laughs) And even my husband had, he said, wow, that was really rough. <laughs> so be warned in advance. Uh, if I'm, I'm hoping you've already seen it since you're listening to this. But um, that was a, a notable scene uh, that had a lot of heart and a lot of impact. And it really speaks to how we need to support our wildlife to help um, these endangered species and and help stop the the poaching of whales and our endangered sea life. To go back and give you a little bit more background at where we're at with the family of Jake Sully and Natiri. Some time has passed and um, they now have, I think it's four children. And, um, you know, they're living their life in, in harmony with nature, as, as all the, the people do. And you're really seeing that they have a happy, beautiful life. And uh, Jake Sully, the main character, he is the leader of the tribe. You see a lot of really precious moments with their children, uh, Jake and Natiri. And some sweet moments uh, with them raising their children. You you really get the sense and the theme of family life and family bonds and how strong they are with with them. If you didn't already know, Jake Sully is played by Sam Worthington and Natiri is played by Zoe Saldana. The character Norm Spellman, who is a one of the scientists that decides to stay on Pandora, 
uh, once the humans do leave, he comes back and is in this film as well. He's played by Joel David Moore. And another returning character uh, that we have is the Colonel, uh, played by Stephen Lang. And he is the primary um, villain in the first Avatar movie, who gets killed at the very end by Natiri and Jake Sully. So, um, yeah, so the Colonel does return to reprise his role as the villain. Um, however, he comes back in a very interesting way. So apparently the humans had saved the Colonel DNA and they were able to create an avatar for him and in order to bring him back. Now, he doesn't have a physical human body, obviously, but they, with the technology that they have to create avatars, they created one with his DNA and downloaded all of his memories and, and things of that nature. And they intend to um, utilize him and they've done this this same thing with many of the deceased um, uh, military people from the first movie, um, but they intend to use him and all of them uh, in order to be able to defeat the Navi people in order to have similar skills to them so they can overcome the Navi people and uh, better utilize um, their skills to get close to the Navi people. And also in order to go into the Hallelujah Mountains, that um, the floating mountains, uh, which humans have a hard time getting into because the their technology doesn't seem to work in those areas. So now that uh, the colonel and a number of his military people are now in avatar bodies uh, or Navi bodies, they are able to um, go into places that they weren't able to before. We also learn that the, the human version of the Colonel from the first movie apparently had a child and um, somehow that child was, was left behind on Pandora. And his name is Spider. He's, uh, he has grown up with, uh, closely with the children of Natiri and Jake. And they are incredibly bonded and very, very good friends with Spider. Spider is very loyal to the children of Natiri and Jake. And he mimics and, you know, he has paint all over his body in order to kind of make him feel like he is part of the, uh, he is a Navi, um, a part of the Navi tribe, and he um, speaks their language, and he is really immersed in their culture. And so it's really sweet. They have a great relationship with um, Natiri and Jake's uh, children. So the sky people, or the humans, uh, along with the colonel and his group, are coming back to Pandora, and they have pl- 
plans yet again to wreak havoc on the planet of Pandora and the Navi people in order to extract and take their resources and in in turn end up harming and killing a number of Navi people. The humans or sky people launch a campaign in order to target Jake and Natiri and their family. And they are trying to eliminate uh, Jake in particular so that they feel like they can better overcome the Navi people and, and whatnot because Jake has taken his military skills and have taught it to the Navi people and they have successfully defended themselves from the humans and their advances. So they start to target uh, Jake in particular and Jake realizes that his presence among the Navi people um, is more harmful than helpful at this point. And so he takes himself, Natiri, and their children and they are self-exiled in order to protect the, the Navi people. And so they move to the eastern seaboard of Pandora, uh, where they come upon the Metkayina Reef people and their clan, who look similar to the Navi people, but they are adapted to the ocean. So they they look similar, but with with differences that are more conducive to um, water and living in the water, breathing in the water. Um, their tails are flatter. Their forearms are flatter so that they can swim through the water easier. And so uh, they ask for refuge uh, in order to hide themselves from the humans. They are reluctantly taken in and uh, they struggle to learn the ways of the Metkayina people. But uh, they do, and they form bonds uh, with them, and the children have a harder time um, being accepted. You know, sometimes children can be very cruel to each other, and uh, that's no different here. Um, so there's a lot of trials and tribulations when, uh, <laughs> in that respect. But sadly, the humans do end up locating Jake, Natiri and his family. They offer to leave the Metkayina people because they have formed such a close bond uh, with Jake and his family. Uh, they offer to to stay and fight. Um, although there are some who disagree with this decision or are hesitant with this decision because they feel as though this will be very detrimental to their people they stand together uh, to fight against the humans and the colonel who um, is in his avatar form. Sadly, the children, um, some of the children become captured uh, by the colonel. Jake goes on an adventure to, to save them and an epic battle ensues and Jake offers to give himself up in order to release the children, an epic battle still ensues despite uh, Jake surrendering himself. 
Another standout scene uh, that I thought was really impactful in the film is when Natiri uses Spider as leverage for her daughter to be released from the colonel. Now, Natiri realizes that Spider is the son and most likely has uh, a connection with the colonel, despite him now being an avatar of the Navi people. Um, And technically, you know, he's just downloaded with the memories and the DNA, but there's question like with those memories and with, with his DNA, whether or not he still has a deep connection to his human son. Natiri can feel that there is some kind of connection there and she utilizes that to her advantage. There's a, a scene in the movie where unfortunately one of their children dies fighting in this battle and trying to save uh, the family. Natiri is, as with any mother who has lost a child, is in such intense and deep sadness and mourning. Because they're right in the middle of battle and everything going on and the other children trying to escape the grasp of the humans and the colonel. She, you know, has to... She has to continue on for the sake of her other children, and it's an incredible deep sadness that she... Zoe Saldana does a wonderful job portraying, and... It's very impactful. It's a very impactful scene when when the son dies and you see Natiri there mourning but not really being able to fully mourn because she has she has her other children. She has to you know go into action to save them and she has to continue fighting and she has to leave the body of her son in order to do these things. And it's incredibly impactful and very powerful. So when the scene comes up where Natiri decides to use Spider, who has been a close friend to their family as leverage for her daughter to be released, she grabs him and puts a knife to his throat. It takes you aback. It speaks to the wrath and pain of a mother who has lost her child, where she will now put morals aside to do anything to save her children. And Natiri threatens to kill Spider if he harms her daughter, if the colonel harms her daughter. Spider is a close friend, as I mentioned, and it's devastating to see Natiri do this. It's a moral thing you see that she is bending because if something as extreme as her son dying, as her children being threatened to be killed, she is willing to bend her morals because I don't think she would do this otherwise. She has nothing left. She has no choice, she feels. And it's devastating to see this from Natiri. It's a different side of her that we haven't seen. As I've mentioned before, it speaks to a grieving mother who will do anything for her children. It also, in my mind, highlights how war, 
even when righteous, to defend one's people and land, bring out the worst in us. Once your morals have been bent or compromised, it leaves a precedent that changes you forever. That's something that really hits home. You know, we have currently, as of the recording of this podcast, there's the war in Ukraine, and there seems to be a lot of unrest and brings up memories of how devastating war can be. And it's, it's sad to see. So when when we see the scene with Natiri, it um, it really takes you back. <laughs> I know I've said that a couple times, but um, it really makes you think. It really makes you think. What would you do if you've been put in that scenario as Natiri has? Would you have done the same thing? Is she bluffing? You know, that's another question. Is she, she may be threatening to kill Spider, but is this an empty threat? Maybe that is the case. And maybe she has absolutely no intention to harm him. But in the scene, you don't get that sense. You actually get the sense that she, she's willing to do whatever it takes uh, in order to save her children, including killing a family friend. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a powerful scene. And this scene wouldn't be so powerful if it wasn't incredibly successfully acted by Zoe Saldana. I have to, I have to say, she, I've been uh, a fan of hers for a very long time. She is an amazing actress. I can't stress that enough. So... Speaking of uh, Zoe Saldana, our actor of the week, whose full name is Zoe Yadira Saldana Prego. I wanted to highlight Zoe because I've been a big fan of hers for many years. Every time I see that she's coming out with a film, I always know she's going to be amazing. Zoe brings so much heart to every single role she plays, and honestly, it's incredibly moving to see her in any role. I also wanted to highlight Zoe because despite the fact that she's appeared in three of the five highest growing films of all time, which has not been achieved by any other performer, and as of this recording, she's the second highest grossing film actress of all time. It seems to me people don't really know a lot about her and her background. I always seem to get the sense when she's in interviews It feels she's constantly having to inform people about who she is. So, let's dive in. Saldana was born on June 19, 1978, in New Jersey. The majority of her early childhood was spent in Jackson Heights, Queens, New York. She was raised bilingual, speaking English and Spanish. Her biological father was Dominican, and her mother is Puerto Rican. Sadly, Zoe's father died in a vehicle crash around her ninth birthday, and her mother moved Zoe and her two sisters to the Dominican Republic shortly after. Saldana is classically trained in dance. She discovered her love of dance in the Dominican Republic, then enrolled in the Ecos Espacio de Danza Academy, studying multiple forms of dance but she described ballet as her passion. 
However, Zoe told Vanity Fair she quit ballet because she did not, quote-unquote, have the feet and had too much pride and ambition to just be a background dancer. The family returned to New York City after her sophomore year in high school. In 1995, she performed with the Faces Theater Group in Brooklyn, with plays providing positive messages for teens via themes dealing with issues such as substance abuse and adolescent sex. During these years, she performed with the New York Youth Theater. Her appearance in their production, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, led a talent agency to recruit her. Her dance training and her acting experience helped her land her first role, playing ballet student Eva Rodriguez in center stage in the year 2000. Zoe has moved on to play in a number of films, most notably 2009 Star Trek and the sequential Star Trek films such as Star Trek Into Darkness and Star Trek Beyond as well as Avatar, The Losers, Death at a Funeral, Columbiana, Guardians of the Galaxy, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, Avengers Infinity War, Avengers Endgame, The Atom Project, Avatar, The Way of Water, and Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, which is set to be released this year in 2023. Not to mention three additional Avatars to be released in 2024, 2026, and 2028. Zoe hasn't done a lot of television, but as with most actors, she started her career with a couple episodes in Law and Order. But most recently, in 2022, she had a limited series release on Netflix called From Scratch. And I can't say enough wonderful things about the show. It is a tearjerker for sure, but it is fantastic. I was so incredibly moved by the show. I think it's the most I've ever cried in a movie or television show in my entire life. Probably because there was some aspects of the show that related to my own life, and it really hit my heart pretty heavily. It's a show filled with a couple going through ups and downs in their life while also dealing with traumatic medical issues. There's powerful moments, sad moments, happy moments, and inspiring and beautiful moments. It really is fantastic. I can't recommend it enough. As far as romance goes, Zoe was engaged in June of 2010 to her longtime boyfriend actor, Keith Britton. But in 2011, they both announced they had ended their relationship after 11 years. After that, Saldana was in a relationship with actor Bradley Cooper from December 2011 to January 2013. Later, in March 2013, Saldana began dating Italian artist Marco Prego. They married in June 2013 in London. In July 2015, Saldana revealed her husband adopted her surname upon marriage. From then on, Zoe became Zoe Saldana Prego and Marco became Marco Prego Saldana. Zoe and her husband have three sons, twins born in November 2014 and the third born in February 2017. Zoe has stated her children will be multilingual because she and her husband speak Spanish, Italian, and English around the home. And one last fun fact about Zoe Saldana is that she's left-handed. A lot of wonderful people are left-handed. My grandma was left-handed. 
So I hope you've learned a little bit more about Zoe Saldana and her career and where she's from and her history. Check out her films that I listed previously. She is absolutely amazing and I highly recommend anything she's in. And now it's time for Hollywood news. It's interesting to look back at Hollywood as a whole, and unfortunately, it seems U.S. media has had a rough time financially. According to a December 29, 2022 article from The Hollywood Reporter, U.S. media stocks have taken a huge hit in 2022. Initially, when the pandemic hit, stocks went up, especially for streaming services. But now, streaming services and media corporations are all seeing stock losses, including Netflix, with shocking subscriber losses not seen in 10 years, Walt Disney Company, which included streaming losses, Warner Brothers Discovery, AT&T Warner's Media merged with Discovery, and they've seen major losses, Peacock, a number of streaming losses, And Comcast, Sony Corporation, Fox Corporation, and Lionsgate have all seen major stock market losses. This means companies will be structuring their subscribership differently and reevaluating their budgets, trying to cut costs wherever possible. The Hollywood Reporter states, quote, Netflix vowed to pull back on some of its spending plans subsequently launching a lower-priced advertising tier in key markets and is set to roll out a plan to charge users for password sharing in 2023, end quote. Netflix has also lost its longtime number one ranking as the top streaming platform, which has now been overtaken by Amazon Prime Video, according to a December 2nd, 2022 deadline article. In my opinion, inflation has had an effect on streaming subscribers and moviegoers. People are cutting costs and being more choosy on what they spend their money on. While gas prices have recently fallen, inflation is still being felt in other areas of people's lives, most notably groceries and household goods. Also, there seems to be an aura of people being frustrated with how many streaming platforms are out there. At least, this is what I've been hearing around in my circles. People seem to feel like they pay more for home entertainment now than they ever did with just cable. Despite Comcast and other cable companies having losses this past year, I've also heard of some people saying they may just go back to cable and get rid of all their streaming platforms because it's just too expensive to have them all. In my mind, people seem to be jumping ship from Netflix and other streaming platforms because people also need to cut costs where they can during these inflation times and Netflix in particular, has consistently raised their prices while reducing what you get in your subscription. In the past 12 years, Netflix has increased their membership prices eight times, and customers end up receiving less in the way of viewing quality, such as no HD for the basic plan, when previously this was included, while also including commercials and charging extra for password sharing. In my opinion, cable companies really have an opportunity here. If they recognize their customers need a little bit better, they should cater their services to be more competitive with streaming platforms, recognizing that people originally got into streaming platforms 
because streaming seemed like a more cost-effective form of getting their entertainment compared to having cable. Now, that is not necessarily the case. But with all that said, I mentioned the media industry's financial issues, mostly because I was surprised to hear of their losses, especially with streaming platforms in particular. It's something that we as consumers of entertainment might want to be aware of. At the end of the day, I'm just grateful that I'm able to afford the luxuries of home entertainment because not everyone has that. I think I mentioned in the previous episode of the podcast that I'm often an emotional watcher, picking and choosing what might lift me up if needed, intrigue my sense of curiosity and mystery, and I enjoy the escapism film brings. I know this was helpful for me during the pandemic and for a lot of people, so I'm grateful to have the access to to streaming platforms and to be able to go to the movie theater on occasion. These are just some overall observations from myself, and maybe not everyone feels the same way. So let me know your thoughts and send me a voice memo or email at filmfollypodcast at gmail.com and let me know what you think about this. Thank you for listening, my friends. Please note, articles and reference material for this episode is linked in the episode description. I look forward to chatting more very soon. Take care.